0: So, Matt, why don't we ever hear anything about the 10th reindeer? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Olive. I mean, she's in the song. Olive, the other (laughs) reindeer. (laughs) Ah! the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam and my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody. Matt, how are you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am fantastic. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you. And, Absolutely, and to everybody else out there. So, <laughs> whatever
1: you're celebrating, happy that.
0: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We can't name all of them, and we try to be inclusive. So, happy whatever you're celebrating, and we That's hope right. we hope this episode brings a little joy to that holiday. Um, on that note, thank thank you to everybody who sent in a story um, for us to tell on this episode. We had a lot more this year than we have in previous years which is oh, awesome yeah. uh we love it um if you don't hear your story have no fear it's not because we didn't like it we just running out of space in this episode um yeah. so we will use it in some other capacity if um if y'all are okay with that you know i'll email you and make sure you're okay with it but anyway so matt why I mean everybody kinda knows what we're doing tonight, yeah. but why don't yeah. you tell
1: us what we're doing tonight? Everybody knows what we're doing. It this is the third annual Graveyard Tales Christmas special starring No <laughs> <laughs> No. Actually, what what Adam and I starring are doing is Jerry Garcia <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> it would be. But um we're we're resurrecting this Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. So for centuries, this, this was a thing, you know, it's, it's even in uh, it's even in songs. Um, you'll hear people mention things about ghost stories and um, a Christmas carol, you know, is all about, you know, ghosts and things like that. And a lot of it is, it has to do with, the the cold and the dark of winter, and the time spent remembering lost loved ones and lost family, um, and, and and of course you know the time where the the veil is the thinnest, right? Um, you know that that idea that you know this is the time of year where we are as close to the spiritual world uh here in the physical world right and so it just seems like a fitting tradition to tell scary stories
0: right and it's kind of due to the death of the old year and the coming of the new year um with the solstice and the days stop getting shorter and start getting longer so it's the death and rebirth thing and matt and i have always found that fascinating and wondered why we don't do that anymore so once we got this outlet where we can do it, we're trying to bring it back, and we yeah, hope you guys we, enjoy
1: it. We decided to do it anymore.
0: Yeah, right. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> so to kick us off here, um, we have a poem that was written by Patricia that I really like, um, so I wanted to start off with this one.
1: A poem.
0: A poem. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the land... Time kept on shifting like hourglass sand. Ghosts were out prowling with ghouls on the run. Bigfoot and Mothman had plenty of fun. Mufon was busy recording each tale of alien beings with gray skin so pale. Carolers singing at every front door were missing the stories of horror and gore. And inside the houses so merry and bright, people told legends of terror and fright. And on the computer, the voices were loud as Adam and Matt told their tales to the crowd. Demonic possessions, the devil's backbone, hellhounds, and merfolk all played on my phone. We listen each Friday from Southern Land Hales, the best podcast ever called Graveyard Tales.
1: Ah, oh, that's awesome.
0: Isn't it? I, I really like that. That was great.
1: I love it. So Most think, people tell you they wrote a poem, and you're kind of like, Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, you mean the way I always used to tell the girls in school, I was like, hey, I wrote a poem, and then none of them wanted to hear it?
1: All, all of the poems I've written, I, I can't repeat here.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe we'll put Matt's Naughty Poems on a Patreon one day.
1: <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm going to kick it off... um with our stories. The first story we've got tonight is is from Ben. Now Ben says, My name is Ben. I'm from a town called Bingham Binghamton, New York. Well, I flubbed that in the first sentence. <laughs> Growing up in the summers, my family would go to a cottage in Canada on a lake named Lake Door. And in my third year, in which I was eight at the time of going up there and One day, I met these two kids, one boy my age and one girl who was five, I believe. I had not met the previous summers. Now, this camp we went to was mainly for people who come yearly, not one time. So it being my third year there, I had a very good idea of all the families there. So I thought it was odd that someone new would show up like this. Now, I had met them at this community beach area they had set up for kids, and I remember them playing in the sand, and me being a very sociable child, I went and introduced myself. We instantly started getting along. Now, I would say probably the first hour, nothing odd happened. We just played, shared interest, etc. And then at one point, the boy asked me if I believed in aliens. Now, even though I was eight, I was always a fan of horror movies. I had a good idea already of what they were, and so I told the kid that I did, because even at a young age, I was always fascinated about UFOs and such. For a while, the boy started telling me about a time when he saw a UFO. It was disc-shaped with bright blue and green flashing lights and was very shiny and metallic with windows that were very small. For what I can remember, he said that he saw this ship many times and even remembered seeing moving objects through one of the windows. After a while, we stopped talking about that and did other kid things. When it started getting around time for dinner, I asked if I could come to their cottage after I ate, which they said no, and to just meet them back at the beach. I really didn't think anything of it, so I went back to my cottage to eat dinner. So after I went back to the beach, I I never found them. I remember being very upset over this and went back home probably an hour after going back. That night around 2 a.m., I remember waking up and seeing these flashing blue and green lights out my window. I was confused, so I went out to the living room, and through the living room window, I saw the UFO. The same UFO the kid described hovering above the water. I remember being terrified yet excited at the same time. It then flew straight up into the sky, but it was so weird. The water was still, no waves or anything. I waited a minute, then ran outside and looked up into the sky, then went back to bed. I could not fall back to sleep, but finally, tiredness took over and I fell back asleep. I remember telling my mom the next morning, and she passed it off as a dream, which in fairness, it could have been, but I believe it was real. I'm 32 and I can still see that ship like I was eight again. For the next few days, I remember going back to the beach trying to find those kids, but never did. So one day I went to the park store and asked the owner of the campground if they knew them. They told me no one knew had rented any cottages in two years. Like I said, it was rare to see any new people, even in the years after. To this day, I've never seen those kids again, And I've never seen that ship again. I truly believe those kids may have been alien humanoids that were only visiting the area. To this day, it's still one of the biggest mysteries of my life. And I wonder if I'll ever see that ship and those kids again. Man,
0: that's wild, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know. It sounded like I kind of chuckled there at the end, Ben, but I wasn't chuckling at your story. I was chuckling because I saw where this was going. <laughs> and uh I was like, Holy cow. I mean, those are those are those are wild experiences. I I think a lot of people have uh have had experiences like that where you meet somebody and it's kind of strange, but not strange enough that you're taken aback and you know, then you find out, well, nobody's lived in that house for 20 years. Or, right. You know, there wasn't anybody back there. And, you know, you hear those things, and you're like, well, who did I just meet? Who did I just talk <laughs>
0: yeah, to? Yeah, exactly. There was somebody there, but, yeah. you know, it, it's not, it can't be verified by anybody. So, I mean, that's, that when I first read that one, that one, it was wild to me, and I, I enjoyed it. Okay, so we got one By Josh. And Josh says, So I want to tell you two fine gentlemen about my time in Israel in 2010. I was there over the Christmas period and was staying at a hotel that shall remain nameless for the time being. While staying at this hotel, I had spent the evening having dinner with friends and decided to turn in at around 2200 hours. I remember waking up at 2330 ish and found that I could not move whatsoever. As hard as I tried, I couldn't budge. That was terrifying enough, but then a long, thin, eyeless, demonic entity revealed itself to me and lifted me up. I saw my own body on the bed, but I was now able to move and to follow the demon. It took us through the floor to the main foyer of the hotel, and we sat in the lobby, which at this point was empty. It told me that I was on the wrong path and needed to get my life together. It then told me he would be seeking payment. I told it that I don't think I'd have anything it wanted, and it said, quote, you would be surprised. And it took me back upstairs, through the roof now, and I was back in my body. I was now able to move. By this point, three hours had passed, but it felt like minutes. It was single-handedly the most terrifying moment of my life. But I wanted to share it with you and your awesome show and listeners. I'm sure people will have plenty to say, but I know what I saw and I know what I experienced. That and my best friend took his own life a few weeks after this encounter. This was a huge blow. And while I have no evidence that the two experiences are related, I can't help but always wonder. Wow. Now, yeah, in Israel is there's been a lot of stories of. Ghosts and, and demonic entities and stuff that come out of Israel and it's you know an area with high energy and high emotion and so I, I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, you know to hear something like that and I'm not but that is I mean that it's a deep story a heartfelt story and and we appreciate you sharing it with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I agree with you, Adam. that, you know, Israel does have a, a lot of power. Um you know, not not just necessarily for Christians and Jews. Um you know, there there's a lot of there's a lot of energy there. There's a lot of conflict around there. And a lot of times I I will research a topic and you'll hear about um, you know, spiritual beliefs, you know, bringing about energy, conflict bringing about energy. And I mean, I, I think Israel has both, you know, and so you're uh, you're looking at a place that if if we if we believe that um, paranormal activity and demons are drawn to this kind of um, energy, I mean, we talked about it last week when we talked about the Marshall House, how mm-hmm. that the energy in there draws those uh child spirits in, you know, brings other spirits in that maybe not didn't have a connection right with with the hotel at all. Um, but the energy drew them there. I mean, so you can imagine, you know, the history behind, you know, Israel um And not just as as a nation, but just as that region, um, what you could experience there. Yeah. Josh, thank you so much for sharing that story. Absolutely. Okay, the next one we're going to jump into is from Scott. So Scott says, I wanted to tell a quick story about a semi I used to drive. I'm not much of a storyteller, so I hope I can convey what happened. I drive for a company in Western Canada. I mostly cover Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. I used to drive an older Kenworth, and whenever I would drive at night, I could feel someone or something watching me from the bunk. At certain times, the hair on the back of my neck would rise, and I just knew there was something there. It got to the point that I would always keep the curtain closed between the cab and the bunk. I had no feelings like that when I was in the bunk getting ready for bed or while sleeping. This went on for months. I got used to keeping the curtain closed and the feeling of being watched stopped. However, one night I forgot to close the curtain and that sense of being watched came back stronger. At one point, I had to check my passenger side mirror and I swear I saw a hand reaching out from the back. When I turned a little more, I saw it draw back into the bunk fast. I almost swerved into the ditch. I managed to safely stop and get out of my truck to collect myself. After a few minutes, I managed to get back in and check everything out. Nothing there. Two days later, I was in a truck and I have never had that feeling again. As a PS, I warned a new driver about always keeping the curtain closed while driving. He kind of laughed at me at first. 3 weeks later he said he understood now he was getting the feelings when he left the curtain open now that's creepy right to me <laughs> i've had that kind of feeling before and I, you know i used to drive i used to drive back and forth when i uh, when i lived in memphis and i drove a pickup truck mm-hmm and man, I would just get this if I stopped and got gas if I went in and got a drink, man I double checked and triple checked the bed of that truck oh because yeah, because I was always scared there was gonna be something in there mm-hmm. <laughs> driving at night you know you can't see back there and it's like Ugh. <laughs> well, and I,
0: I love the fact that you know he, he it's kind of validated with the driver after him yeah. you know. He he warned him of it and he didn't believe him. So it's not really like he, you know, planted too much in his brain to make him do that because he really didn't explain what it was. But then the guy came back and validated it to him, which I think is great. And I mean, I really liked that one. That one was. that one was fun just because of the validation and the, the next guy after him yeah. going, yep, I know what you mean. I, <laughs> if I, I got I it too. I
1: other guy, I'd have been like, I'd have been calling him going, forget you, man. Yeah. What you t- <laughs> <laughs> right. Why are you giving me <laughs> this truck? <laughs> Go get this truck. <laughs>
0: right. What you got in here? Yeah. Take whatever you <laughs> left in this truck. I don't want it. <laughs> All right. So the next one we got is by Jamie. And she says... It all started in the mid to late 90s. My sister is 10 years older than me. She got married when she was 20, so I was about 10 years old. Her husband worked in the offshore oil fields. That's hard to say. The offshore oil fields. So he was working for a week or two at a time. I'd stay with her when he was gone, and they lived in a really, really old house in a rural part of Louisiana. The house was set in the middle of cow pastures and farming fields. It was so old that a bathroom had to be added onto it. Now, it was a very small house, maybe 900 square feet, and the house was shaped in a perfect square. It was a little odd in that in order to get to any of the two guest rooms, you had to first go through the master bedroom. She says this detail will come into play a little bit later. I always had a creepy feeling in that house, just very uneasy. On the weeks that I stayed with my sister, I rode the school bus back to her house in the afternoon and I was usually alone for about an hour and a half or so until she could get home. There were many times where I felt so uneasy I'd sit outside on the porch to wait for her or I'd bring her two dogs in the house to keep me company. They had two Australian Australian cattle dogs or healers. There were times when the dogs would stare off into the distance in the house and they'd start growling and the hair on their backs would raise and they'd protectively get in front of me as if to protect me from something that I couldn't see. The really strange things started happening in probably 1995 when I was 13 years old. I can remember one afternoon getting off the school bus and instead of going into the house right away, I crossed the street, which was a dirt road, to get the mail. As soon as I reached the mailbox, I could hear the stereo in the house. It had turned on by itself, and the volume was all the way up. I ran into the house, unlocked the door, and turned it off. That was just one of the many odd things that happened. There was one afternoon, I got home, and all the cabinets in the kitchen were open. My sister had these, quote, fancy towels on display in the bathroom, and every morning, they'd be messed up. She'd always fuss at me and tell me not to use the fancy towels, and I always told her I wasn't messing with them. After things like this going on for a few years, our parish priest blessed the house and there wasn't any more activity till the spring-summer of 1998. My sister gave birth to my nephew in February of 1998. So by the time I turned 16 in the summer of 98, he was about four months old. I often got up with him at night to give him a bottle and change his diaper so that my sister could rest. It was the beginning of the summer break and I had just gone to bed for the night. It was late, probably a little after midnight. I had been reading a book in bed in one of the guest bedrooms. The room was literally only big enough for a full size bed and a small nightstand that we had a lamp on. I turned the lamp out and was getting comfortable in bed and I felt someone sit on the foot of my bed. I sat up, fully expecting my sister to be sitting on the bed, but no one was there. The outside security light was peeking in through cracks in the blinds and I could clearly see that there was an indentation at the foot of the bed like someone was sitting there. I remember calmly getting up and going to sleep with my sister in her bed. I never told her about that. Two weeks later, I was back at her house. I was in my room asleep when I heard someone whisper my name. I opened my eyes and Thinking it was my sister, wanting me to get up with the baby to give him a bottle. When I opened my eyes, I saw a man standing in the doorway of my room. He was about five foot five or so, had on overalls and a hat, and had a long white beard. I sat up in bed and rubbed my eyes and reached over to turn on the lamp. He was still there. Oddly, I stayed calm and just stared at him. I could kind of see through him. I could see my nephew's folded baby stroller, which was behind him, leaning against a wall in my sister's bedroom. After about 30 seconds, he smiled at me and slowly disappeared. I told my sister what I saw the next day, and she told me I was crazy and that I must have been dreaming. Activity picked up after that. My brother-in-law was home alone one day, and he had been mowing the lawn and doing yard work, and he ran into the house to use the bathroom since he was alone he left the bathroom door open as soon as he sat on the toilet the bathroom door slammed shut there were times that we'd get home after being gone and all the doors in the house would be closed and items like laundry baskets wastebasket waste baskets and books had been placed behind all the doors at this point i didn't want to be alone in the house at all i never again talked about the things that happened finally In February of 1999, my sister and brother-in-law moved into the house that they had just built. That's when she dropped the bomb on me. Their house was haunted and I had seen their ghost. I was the only person besides the brother-in-law's sister who had seen him. He was apparently the man who built the home. He was also the great-grandfather of my brother-in-law's sister's husband. They had lived in the house about 20 years before and had experiences with him. They showed me a picture of him and asked me if that was the man I saw. And it was. I never went into that house again.
1: Well, that that's an awesome story. It doesn't sound scary. Actually, it sounds like the house that my parents live in, to be honest. I mean, yeah. some of those things were very similar. Doors open, doors closed, things changed when you get back home, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, but, it, really wasn't like really cool. she was terrified of it you know she just kind of yeah. it was there you know
1: it can be unnerving even oh, if sure, it's yeah it, even if it's not malicious it it can definitely be unnerving you know when things you come home and things are turned on and uh, and i've done this twice i've had i've had two houses like this. <laughs> you know things would would turn on and off and just Without, I mean, I I had a radio, I had a radio turn on that was not plugged in and didn't have batteries in. It. I
0: which mean, which is wild. That's. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're like, I don't really know how this happens. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked us. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, those stories where the past and the paranormal meet. Because who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? I'm your host Kat, and joining me every week will be one of my co-hosts, either Haley, my partner in every idea I have, or Tress, my lovely sidekick in all things paranormal. Join us this season as we discuss and share true accounts from all over Southern California and beyond, from haunted locations to newsworthy incidents and crimes that stunned us. We will dwell deep and find the people behind the headlines. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast, and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Also, visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com. Until next time, remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Hey everybody, we are Unearthing Paranormalcy and we are the podcast that digs into the paranormal and finds normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy.
1: I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli.
0: And if you like to listen to podcasts about the occult and the macabre, strange alien activities
1: and spooky stories,
0: and even some just unsolved mysteries... Be sure to check us out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. We like to mix a little bit of comedy with a little bit of knowledge and try to make ourselves and our listeners a little wiser so things are a little bit more normal. You can find us on all the social medias at UNP Normalcy. Come check us out. Until next time. Keep digging.
1: Mathman. Oh, <laughs> we had we had taken a little we had taken a little pause for a second. I was telling Adam, in the job that I do, I meet a lot of people. And uh, I was going to share this real quickly. Um, I I met a lady this past Friday, very, very nice lady. I won't use her name um, because I I didn't ask her permission, but I I think I can share this story. This lady, um, she's in her 60s and she had a heart attack. She had to undergo emergent Uh, open heart surgery and had to have uh, multiple bypasses done after um, surgery. She had a complication where she began to bleed and she was telling me, she was like, "I, I realized what was, what was going on. And she said, what I remember after that was just becoming very calm and and kind of leaving myself, and she's like, I saw the light, I felt this this warmth, this peace, and she was, I felt like I knew exactly what was happening, I was dying, mm-hmm. and she said, and I was okay, and I just felt just totally relaxed and was like, I'm ready to go, and said she just kind of let go, and heard a voice tell her. It's not your time. And said, as soon as she heard the voice, she said she felt her words were sucked back into her body. Now, I kept talking to her to get her. I did not lead this conversation. I just kept asking questions. What was it like? What did you see? What did you hear? And that sensation of being snapped back or, as she said, sucked back into your body Is probably in 99% of the stories that Adam and I researched for our near death experience, out of body experience episode. Um, And it was just, it was really amazing to hear first person somebody tell you that, not knowing what I do on the show. Right. You know, she didn't know I was there to do a job. She didn't know, she didn't know me. (laughs) <laughs> she didn't know me from adam <laughs> ha. no she didn't <laughs> no but she she didn't she didn't but she shared this with me and i thought man this is this is really cool now after it was all said and done i did i did tell her about the show mm-hmm. um and and that led to you know more conversations about other things but i wanted to share that story um you know i'm just i'm i'm in a position where i can i can meet a lot of different people and I can hear some pretty interesting stories and that was a that was a great one.
0: Yeah, that's but, that's uh, amazing. This to, show this to shows about somebody. our listeners.
1: So we're gonna jump back to uh to our listener stories and this one this one comes from Joe. And Joe says I went cat I went sorry, Joe. <laughs> uh Joe says I went camping this past September at my uncle's private land out in southern Indiana. It was dark, and I needed to gather some kindling wood, because we got there late. As I was searching, I got to a small opening in the woods and noticed my flashlight suddenly went out. I raised it up to open it, and it suddenly came back on. So I pointed it again to continue looking, and it went out again. So I raised it again, and it came on. I suddenly realized there was something in front of me darker than the night and i was poking my flashlight into it and it swallowed the light i froze then i heard what seemed to be in my head a humming sound with a humming voice kind of like nun, nun, nun. it sounded like it was behind a wall i turned and ran faster than ever i realized it was not a person or anything physical So I didn't tell my wife or anyone because I didn't want anyone going in after it. Something told me it wasn't going to come after us or go near our fire once I got it started. I made a huge fire and eventually we all went to bed. I had a dream that night of me at my childhood home and someone kept telling me it's not here. This isn't the place. So I thought about what that could have been was it a shadow person was it someone in a lucid dream was it a traveler from another dimension i have no idea and i hope i never see that again so that's i mean that's really cool i don't know that i've uh, i've read a story quite like that before
0: no and i like the way he at the end he's like you know thinking through it was it a shadow person was it someone in a lucid dream Was it a traveler from another dimension? Because those are all things that, you know, we've kind of talked about and it possibly could be if it's someone in a lucid dream, you just happen to meet them in their lucid dream, you know, so you're not getting the full effect of their voice because they're not able to project it to you. Or if it's someone from another dimension, it could be the same thing. You're, you know, they're fairly translucent and you know transparent and you're able to walk through them and and everything but you know they're there and you can hear them it, it's it, it's pretty wild i like that one
1: yeah or maybe it was a portal or yeah. you know uh a, uh a, a, you know one of those we've talked about the in between spaces
0: mm-hmm. you know a liminal the, space
1: you know where you know light light could pass through and you you uh Joe, you may or may not have been able to pass through.
0: Right. And he may, if it was a liminal space, have been creating a UFO sighting in the other dimension.
1: Because (laughs) it's just a light coming on, you know. (laughs) You know, he's waking somebody up, you know, on the other side of the planet going, hey, hey.
0: (laughs) 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 My flashlight's not working. (laughs) Yeah, Why is it not working? (laughs) And somebody's like, look,
1: it's a bright light in the sky. (laughs) You never know. You never know. But, you know. We, we've talked about exactly this many times, you know, yeah. something strange you encounter, you know, could it be, you know, a, you know, someone in a time slip, mm-hmm. you know, like Joe said, someone from another dimension or a lucid dream. And you're only getting this, you know, this representation of them in your time. Yeah. All
0: right. So this next one we got is from Kate. She says, This occurred when I was roughly seven years old and was during the summer. I was woken from a deep sleep. It was roughly two or three o'clock in the morning and the house was pitch black. As I rolled over to try and figure out what woke me, I saw a glowing white figure next to my bed. I wasn't scared to see it and in fact, I felt super relaxed and fell back asleep. I told my parents about it the next day and I was told that I must have been dreaming. I have asked about this event several times through the years and always received the same answer until I went to Spain a few years ago. Then I was told by someone we got to know that I had a woman watching over me. Could this have been who I saw that night? Yeah, Kate, it could have been. If you felt relaxed and you didn't have any negative feelings, that could have been what is colloquially known as a guardian angel. Or a guardian spirit of some sort,
1: right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Guard, guardian angels, and and I, I guess it depends on maybe maybe your faith as to what you would think of as a, as a guardian being. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- I think most people consider them to be celestial in nature. Sure. Not not necessarily terrestrial. Um, uh, yeah. Or 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 a spirit. You know, something that's kind of an an in between, um, you know, more more of a being that you know exists and maybe always has, um, you know, that just kind of looks out for folks, right? And um, maybe you you had an experience with yours,
0: and I, you know that I'm a little jealous if that's what the case is. I'm a little jealous that you did. I would like to meet mine. I've got to have one through all the crazy stuff I've survived. I've got to have one.
1: <laughs> mine mine is finally sitting back going, "Thank God, this dude is calmed down. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's gotten to the age where I can actually take a vacation and not worry about him now.
1: That's right. My mine's sipping umbrella drinks finally. <laughs> right, you know, instead of instead of pulling double shifts. Right, and and <laughs> drinking heavily just to cope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my guardian angel is sitting there his wigs are all tattered and shivering and shaking and he's got like a cigarette in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other yep.
0: liver's <laughs> failing him And <laughs> alright so this next one is from Emily and Emily I personally love this story I, I really appreciate you sending it in I just wanted to say that up front I, I really enjoy this one made me laugh She says, I would like to share my first ever encounter with a, quote, spirit when I was about 18 and had just started wearing contacts. She says, I promise that's relevant information that you'll get further on. I still lived at home, and one of my duties in the house was to do the dishes. I did have a full time job, and after working my normal shift on a Friday, i had gotten home around 4 p.m. So if I wanted to go out for the night, I would need to have the dishes done to my mom's approval before I could leave. So I decided that I would get ready to go first and then whip through the dishes as quickly as I could and fly out the door for the night. My curfew was around midnight, if I remember correctly. Um, Not that that's really important to the story, though. Um, After getting ready and taking way longer than I should have, I was in a hurry to get the dishes done. I also had been in a hurry to put my contacts in and one was a little bit uncomfortable. Now, being home alone, I cranked the radio up and dug into the dishes. Halfway through the job at hand, I caught something out of the corner of my eye. It was a quick glimpse, and I wasn't exactly sure what I had seen. Side note, I've always believed in spirits, good and not so good, and the house that my folks had bought was rumored to have a murder have occurred in it. And she says, although when I searched years later, I was not able to find an ounce of evidence to that particular story. She says, so that thought in my mind, I stiffened and started to scrub a little faster. A few minutes go by and I am able to convince myself that it was just a figment of my imagination. But once again, after I let my guard down, I could see this shadow figure loom over the corner of my eye. This time I whip my head around about ready to either die of fright at 18 or stab the shadow in the eye with the dish that I had in my hand. But as soon as I had looked, it was gone. My heart racing, I finished the last dish, rinsed the sink out, and just as I was putting away the rag, the quote figure is back, just out of the corner of my eye again, and it looks like a hooded Grim Reaper. I scream, grab my keys and bag, fly out the door, and flee the house. Nope, no way was I going back in that house without someone else in there with me. So paranoid, I drive to my boyfriend's house, and just before I get there, I pulled over and catch my breath. I slow down my mind and try to figure out what I had seen. As I was doing just that, my eye was still bothering me. My contact hadn't set quite right yet. I rubbed at it subconsciously. As I did this, the contact rolled in such a way on my eye that I saw the rim of the contact as it moved around my eye, and I noticed that it was shaped just like the Grim Reaper that I had thought I had seen earlier. Side note, well, more like a thin half-moon shape, but hey, in the moment, anyone could mistake that for a Grim Reaper, right? So after I regained control of myself from my fit of laughter, I drove the rest of the way to my boyfriend's house, and until this day, have never told a single person about my encounter with the Grim Reaper.
1: (laughs) Isn't that
0: great? I love that.
1: I love it. I love it. Look, the other day, I uh, I put both contacts in the same eye.
0: <laughs> yeah. I bet that was I weird. Was like,
1: How did I do that?
0: Yeah. Did you see a Grim Reaper?
1: <laughs> no, but I had X-ray vision in that eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that story. Yeah. Okay. So our, our next story. Our next story is from Katie. So Katie writes, here is my story. I am from Indiana and I grew up in a ranch style home on a half acre of land. The style of home is somewhat important to get a better understanding of my story. A ranch home is usually one story and has a larger living room in the front of the house with a kitchen immediately behind the living room and then usually a longer hallway off either the kitchen, like in my home, or off the living room that then has all the bedrooms and bathrooms. Trust me, not useless information. I was in high school and completely home alone on a bright sunny day. Our house had several large windows in both the living room and kitchen that really illuminated the house without the need for any additional light during the day. We had a window that was over our kitchen sink that would look out into our large backyard. The house also had a crawl space underneath, basically an area where the house was raised up for any work that may need to be done. And if you've ever been in a home with a crawl space, you will know what the sound of someone walking around on a crawl space sounds different than someone walking on a house with a foundation. It would be very easy to hear someone in a bedroom with a closed door walking Or our dog, Goldie, who was a medium-sized dog of about 40 pounds. So here I am, completely alone, washing dishes at the sink. What is the deal with washing dishes? Maybe there's something connected. I don't know. I'm telling you, you know, hey, you know, if you're washing dishes, look out. That's when you're going to see something.
0: Especially while you're listening to this (laughs) washing dishes.
1: (laughs) So looking out the back window at our yard... I hear footsteps walk down the hallway to my immediate left. Thinking it was my dog, I say something like, Hey Goldie, do you need to go outside? I look over to the floor to my left and I do not see my dog at all. However, I see a pair of very used work boots. I'm startled and immediately raise my stare and see an older man in jean overalls, a red and white flannel shirt, and a large hat that I Cannot completely make out. He had a longer white beard and as I was looking at him, he grabs the straps of his overalls with with his thumb. He is not hollow or cloud-like except for around the top of his head where his hat is. He is a complete solid person standing in front of me. I didn't scream, but I did jump back at what I was seeing. He didn't make a sound, but he gave me this look. Like, she can see me? Is this real? Probably very similar to the look I was giving him in my stunned state. He was there for about two seconds before dissolving in front of my eyes. While we're both still staring at each other, mystified that we can see each other. I was never terrified. I was just shocked by what I saw. It was like I knew I was not in danger. He was just there in front of me. I didn't go running out of the house, but once my parents were home, I brought up that something weird had happened, and I think I saw a ghost while they were gone. My mom has never been a believer and brushed me off, leaving the room. My dad, however, turned very pale, and before I could even tell him what exactly I had seen, he said that a few weeks prior, he had seen a little girl in the backyard, and he was terrified. He said he stood there early in the morning before leaving for work, sipping his coffee, and stared at her, trying to make sense of what he was seeing. I explained that what I had seen stunned me, but I wasn't scared at all, and that it was just a weird encounter, the two of us knowing that of each other's existence, even though we shouldn't have. I told my dad about what he was wearing, what he looked like, and that I, he never, he did not seem menacing. My dad's jaw is now on the floor and he says, that's my grandpa. He takes me out to our storage boxes in the garage and produces a photo album that I have never seen. He flips a few pages in and then points to a black and white photo of a man in jean overalls, flannel shirt, and a big floppy straw hat. However, the beard isn't as long or white but the eyes are exactly the same. I said, I am sure that is who I saw. My dad tells me that his grandpa jet from Tennessee and that he was always in jean overalls and flannel shirts. His favorite being the red and white one. And that when he passed, he had a long, full white beard. Apparently he died when I was still an infant and we never got to meet when he was alive, but I did have a stuffed plush bunny rabbit from him with my name sewn on it. I knew I had it, never knew it was from him. I saw my great-grandfather one other time about a year later. I was walking to our school bus stop, and I felt like I needed to quicken my pace for some reason. No one else was around, and I just had that internal feeling that I needed to hurry up and get out of where I was. I happened to look over, and I seen my great-grandpa standing behind a bush. He gave me a knowing smile, like, yep, I can see you too. It was almost reassuring that he was looking out for me, and my nerves immediately calmed. I have never seen him physically again, but I like the idea that he may still be looking out for me. As for the little girl in the white colonial dress... My dad saw her again just standing in the backyard a few months later. He asked our landlord about any history she may know and the only information that she would give was that the tenants before us were Satanists and had painted symbols on the wall in red paint. She was more upset with the cleaning that had to be done than with any possibility of the paranormal in the house and never thought more about anything happening in the house. I still do not have an explanation as to any connection of the little girl and my great grandfather, or why he showed up so out of the blue. But it made me a believer that there are things out there that we can't explain. So, I you know really, this is not an uncommon story. I mean, Katie's Katie's story. um, I personally have had. Mm -hmm. things like that happen to me i have met dozens of people with very similar story either it's a it's a relative that maybe you didn't know that uh has a spirit that still lingers around it's interesting though that in in uh in your story katie that he seems to look at you with a knowing yeah that you know, it, he may be surprised at first, but that he realizes, you know, who you are and that you can see him. And maybe that's why the second time, um, there was that look mm-hmm. like, I, I know you can see me and I'm right here and, you know, I'm your, your great grandfather. Yep. Um, you know, and and a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about, um, stories where people see spirits and and it's difficult for them to generate enough energy to physically manifest and they may have always been there but there was no way for them to reach out or indicate that they were there at all right um but it's funny when you when she's describing her house i was like yeah, it's my house. <laughs> it's, it's my house twice, actually. I You know, the house I live in now is very, very similar in floor plan and style to the house that I used to live in. Um, but uh, the house that I used to live in had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, yeah, the footsteps and everything had a crawl space, so I know exactly what Katie is describing here. But uh really that's a that's a great story. It's a it's a heartwarming story.
0: Yeah, it really is, yeah. So our next story comes from Nikki. And Nikki, this story is one of the reasons why I find children creepy. So, <laughs> so Nikki says, my story is more on the subject of receiving messages from beyond the grave, I guess is the best way to put it. My daughter, aunt, and grandmother all had cancer at the same time. Different kinds, though. Around Christmas time in 2006 is close to the time my aunt passed away about three days before. So they always say that children that face trauma or health issues can be more susceptible to special abilities. I myself have always received messages, but more so in my adult years than anything. About a week after my aunt passed away, I was putting my daughter to bed. She was three at the time. She was still in cancer treatment and a survivor. She and I were very close to my aunt. When I was putting her to bed this night, my daughter looked up at me and had this smile on her face that didn't look like her own. She looked up at me and with this kind of smile said, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I'm fine. I love you. Then my daughter snapped out of it and said, I love you, mommy. Good night and went to sleep. I still to this day believe it was my aunt communicating through her because she knew how much I missed her. Shortly after, I had a dream that my aunt and another woman were sitting in some sort of dark hallway at a table. She was dressed in almost a uniform of some sort, and so was the other woman. I looked to my aunt and said, what are you doing here? She pointed to an open door across from her that was full of nothing but bright light and said, We watch over the babies. After that, when visiting her at her mausoleum, I happened to glance at the wall across from her. There were two twin babies that had died at birth. I don't know if these were the babies that she was referring to, but I will never forget that dream. I've had a series of other dreams since then, to do with other relatives, but that is a story for another time. So that dang creepy kid's channeling. I mean, it was it was a sweet thing for to be channeled. That was a
1: great story. How in the hell does that
0: creep you out? Because the kid changed.
1: I, mean, uh, I, I,
0: okay. I, I get it. The the story is great, and the fact that she came through and said, You don't have to worry about me. I love that part. That's heartwarming yeah. and fantastic. But that you came through a kid and it changed with a different smile and all that, that's what I mean if that had been an adult, that would have creeped uh, me out. <laughs> you know, having having facial expressions change or voice change is creepy.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. All right, our next story. Comes from Paulette. Paulette writes many years ago when I was in Venture Scouts. um, She says so in England, Venture Scouts is mixed boys and girls for ages sixteen to eighteen. So in in the U.S., it's it's Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. So we went on a large Scout camp during the summer holidays. It was a large gathering of Scouts and Cubs with the Venture Scouts helping to organize events, cook, etc. It was based on the grounds of a large county estate called Tatton Park, which is in Cheshire, England. I probably said that wrong. Sorry, Paulette. (laughs) The house is owned by the National Trust and has been open to the public for many years. It is a Georgian mansion that was owned and lived in by the Egerton family before being handled to the National handed to the National Trust. Unusually, the old hall is situated in the same estate. Normally, they would develop and expand the same site over many centuries, but in this case, they decided to build a new Georgian mansion on another site in the same estate. so we now have two different houses on the same estate. Anyway, my friend Michelle and I were the only two girls on the camp in our little group and we really didn't like using the porta so luckily for us, we would walk up to the house because the public toilets were situated in the stable block along with a cafe and a shop, etc. The toilets remained open after the house was closed each day to the public, which was handy for us. This particular time we wandered up to the house to use the toilets, the house was closed for the day, so it would have been early evening, but it was a bright, sunny summer's evening. We walked to the toilet block. You entered a little corridor, which split in two, a long row of toilets to the right and a long row of toilets to the left, with a row of wash basins, mirrors, hand dryers, the usual. Without speaking a word to each other, we both naturally walked to the very end of each row as there was nobody about, and it gave us some privacy. I walked to the very end of the left row and Michelle to the end of the right. Once inside and minding my own business, I heard footsteps walking closer along the stone-tiled floor. I can still hear those footsteps to this day. They were slow and measured, with a tap sound on each one, as if the shoe had a metal tap on the bottom of the sole. It felt like a man's footsteps for some reason. I'm not sure why I thought that, but it has stuck with me. The footsteps stopped directly outside of my cubicle. Not sure what to do and conscious of the fact that we shouldn't really be using the toilets, I spoke up. Hello? No answer. Then I shouted, Michelle, what are you doing outside my door? This was a bit silly because we both had sandals on, so I already knew it wasn't her footsteps. Anyway, the answer came from the distant other end of the toilets. I'm not outside your door. Beginning to feel a little uneasy, I finished up quickly, and then I heard Michelle shout, Paulette, what are you doing outside my door? On hearing that, I hurried up out of the cubicle, yanking the door open. Michelle did exactly the same thing, and we looked along the corridor of toilets at each other with not a soul in between. There was no one there. Feeling shaken, we hurried to get out of the toilets when all of a sudden, and I still have no idea where all the toilet paper come from, came from, all the hand dryers went off at once. Toilet paper flew up into the air. It was absolute chaos. We both ran ran and didn't stop running until we got back to the camp and both fell about laughing. I really have no idea what it was. We didn't actually see anything, but ask anyone about it and you'll get the same answer. One of the Lord Egerton's hated women. I have no idea where he got this reputation from or which one in particular, but it just seems to be one of those things that has stuck over the centuries. I still visit the house as it is only a half hour drive from where I live. The ladies toilets have long since moved from that toilet block to a new larger converted block across across the cobbles. The old toilets are shut up now with the red door closed. It looks like it gets used for storage now. It might have nothing but equally it could have been it might have been nothing but equally it could have been a spirit telling us in no uncertain terms that we shouldn't be there.
0: <laughs> right?
1: It's a it's a toilet paper bathroom rating, you know. Yeah, it, it could it's, have it's, been just
0: a prankster spirit trying to TP you. Could
1: you know. be, could be. You know, it doesn't sound like it was dangerous or anything, but maybe send sending a message, you know, that hey, you know, don't don't come in here no more. Yep. You know. And, um but pretty cool. You know, I I I like those kind of stories where you you know no nobody's hurt. You don't get all that scared, but uh, you know, it's definitely something that you can't explain.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: All right, so our next story comes from Scott,
0: one of the two Scots that wrote into us this year. Um and Scott has written in last year as well. Um he says, I had written in before with my experience at Ford's Theater and the Antietam Battlefield. I had another one, and I thought you guys would like it. This past March, I was out at Gettysburg Battlefield doing some research on my thesis. When I walked onto the battlefield with my camera, I told the spirits what I was doing, and if they wanted to be known, it was okay. Nothing appeared on my footage. I was on the south end of the field by Little Round Top when I was filming Devil's Den. I made the mistake of touching the rocks there to steady myself to get a better footing for shooting, and I started to get a headache. I thought nothing of it and continued through my day. When I got back to the hotel that night, the headache was still with me. I went to bed, and that's when I was confronted with my actions from earlier. I began having dreams about the battle, seeing and hearing what the soldiers had been through that day. It was one of the most intense dreams I have ever had. Since that dream, I have a better understanding of what the soldiers went through, and it helped me with my studies in the Civil War. And, Scott, I can't help but think that that was meant to be that way. You were meant to be given a message, and that was how you were delivered the message. And it kind of ties into our stone tape thing, too. The rocks at Gettysburg would have held a lot of this energy, and that was the way that they passed it on to you, so that you could understand their trauma and their experience better than had you just been taking pictures and filming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of mediums out there that can pick up, you know, feelings from touching objects. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine, t- you know, what? What touching a rock on a battlefield like Gettysburg, Whew. the the energy there?
0: No, I, it,
1: I'm I, honestly Scott, I'm I'm surprised that all you had was a dream. You yeah. know that you know that you, you and and you might have this may have been all you wanted to share, but um, you know Adam and I have talked to folks who have who have done this kind of thing and um, the the experiences that they have just linger on you know they they get such an energy that it almost you know it can almost consume them Mm -hmm. um you know to the point that you'll you'll hear a lot of uh psychics and mediums talk about not wanting to touch certain objects because of the energy associated with them right right so um really that's that's a great story scott thank you so much uh for sharing our next story comes from Liz, and Liz says, my name is Liz. Hi, Liz. Because what else What else is she going to say? Right. <laughs> and she says, this is a story from my mom. My mom was 15 years old in 1969. She found herself jolted awake one night. She looked across the room, and in a chair, she saw a man. He was in an army dress uniform and had his head placed in his hands as if he were weeping. She covered up and went back to sleep. Fast forward a few days later, and my mom's father died in his sleep. This put a lot of strain on my family, who lived in rural North Carolina and survived on farming. My mom's older brother was sent home from the Army, just missing being sent to Vietnam. During the 60s, it wasn't uncommon for the deceased to be in the home for the funeral and the viewing. The night of her father's funeral, after everyone had gone to sleep, my mom was jolted awake again. She heard from the living room the footsteps of her father. He walked all the way through the house and out the back door. My mom believes that the vision of the man in her bedroom was that of her brother, an omen of the coming death. Of her father, and and Liz, that may that may be very well what it was. Yep, um, you know, I, I we've talked to several folks who have had similar situations happen. Um, you know, I know, I know, I had an uncle visit me right before he passed away. Um, so, you know this this is a this is a really good story. Um, you know, from your mom. We appreciate you sharing it. Um, but I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing I am, I am just amazed at how many stories we've got tonight that people are actually seeing physical manifestations mm-hmm. of, of spirits. I mean, you know, so many people have had weird experiences, but it seems like you don't meet that many that have actually seen a, a, a physical manifestation to where they could make out, you know, who it was or how they were dressed or facial features. We're getting a lot of that tonight.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's great because it, it's great to hear the stories of, like you said, seeing the physical apparition or spirit or entity um, rather than just getting a feeling Because a lot of times that's the way they communicate is just through feeling more than, you know, being seen. But, uh, you know, like you said, the the omen is very common and a lot of people will get that. It's like a crisis apparition. You get shown something in a moment of crisis. And I, I mean, I think those are very powerful. Those are things to be aware of and to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So our next story comes from Charlie, which uh, is short for Charlotte. And uh, Charlie says, first things first, my grandfather, my grandmother, excuse me, passed away in 2012. This is an important fact when going into this story. So after my car accident two years ago, I was in the hospital. I was doped up on heavy-duty pain meds, in and out of consciousness, and between surgeries. One night, I was dead asleep, completely zonked. I was woken up by the feeling that someone was in my hospital room. It was similar to my grandmother's presence when she was alive, but she had been gone for five and a half years at this point, so I knew for a fact that she couldn't be in my room. I rolled my head around and opened my eyes. My grandmother, as she was in her 40s, was standing against the wall of my room, watching me with a smile on her face. I felt calm and loved. It was in that moment that I knew I was going to pull through. I fell asleep with a smile on my face, knowing my grandmother was watching over me. And so Thank you, Charlie, for for uh, sharing that. But uh, again, another another story of of a guardian, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, a guardian angel or a past loved one that just appears to just say, hey, it's going to be OK. Right. You know, you you don't have to worry. And, um, you know, I, I think these stories, these stories are probably one of the most common that we hear of somebody getting that sensation of, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of a tragedy. And, um, you know, someone that was near and dear to me that has passed on came to me and, and it was just, it, 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 it made things better. You know, it made me, made me feel, feel calm and, and at peace.
0: Yeah. And it's pretty cool to get those. Um, the next story we have is from Todd. And Todd says, I would like to tell you a local legend that my grandparents used to tell stories of. It's called the Spirit Candles of Southern Ohio. Now, my grandparents were born in the 1920s at the headwaters of Simmons Creek in Jackson County. Even to this day, this is a sparsely populated area. A rough but beautiful countryside full of rolling hills and expansive valleys covered in thick woods. Back in the earliest days of this country... This little area was ripe for small skirmishes, lots of bloody battles between settlers and Indians, the Revolutionary War, and then later the Civil War all left their scars upon the land. Scattered around all of these hills and hollows are small and all but forgotten cemeteries, often surrounded with old and rusted barbed wire. This barbed wire has fallen and grown into the trees. Most of the graves are marked with just a stone although occasionally you might find one carved and decorated, dating back to the Civil and Revolutionary Wars, or even beyond. And so the legend goes that these poor and forgotten souls sometimes become restless. It is said that when the moon rises full, or on Halloween night, when of course the veil between the worlds is at its thinnest, that the restless spirits rise out of their graves. They follow ancient and forgotten trails across the hills and hollows, searching for a destination that only the dead can remember. And they carry with them little candles to light their way. The light from the candles burns a ghostly green. If you happen to be out in the woods on one of these nights, you may very well see the little green lights. If you happen to encounter these lights, it is said to stand back and allow them to pass on their way. In doing so, they will not bother you. Never stare at their bloated and emaciated bodies or look them directly in the empty sockets that used to be eyes. Do not talk to them, approach too closely, or try to hinder their path, or they will follow you home and give you your own little candle to carry. So if you ever find yourself traveling in the woods around Simms Creek at night, beware and heed the spirit's light of southern Ohio. Uh, that's pretty cool. I like that one.
1: I have never heard that. Yeah. That's a a cool story. I can't believe I hadn't come across that.
0: Yeah, I I like those little uh, tales like that from small towns.
1: All right, our next story comes from Jeffrey. So Jeffrey says, in quotes, ball lightning with a question mark. The house I grew up in was in a brand new subdivision in the south part of High Point, North Carolina. The little community was called Allen J. We moved into the house in nineteen seventy two. I was five. It was a ranch style house, probably a thousand square feet. Being a ranch style house, it had it had that hallway all the rooms let off of. I was I was an only child, and my parents and I had the two rooms at the far end of the hall. The very first room you would come to on the right, heading down the hall, was empty when we moved in. This was a time when the economy was tight, and both my parents were just hard-working, blue-collar types. So it's with the economy in mind, I'm sure that they accepted a bedroom suit from my mom, mom's recently deceased aunt. From the start, I hated this room with its hand-me-down furnishings. My great aunt scared me in the way old people just scare little kids sometimes. The rooms always seemed so cold and dark. The furniture was all a very dark color, which didn't help things. Her passing in that bed didn't help a daggum bit in removing the creep factor. All that being said, I avoided that room at all costs and would keep the door closed if I could and still ran past it. Flash forward to a hot, hot summer day. It had been a beautiful North Carolina day for a young boy growing up. As often happens, though, big thunderheads gather as the sun is going down. A very lively thunderstorm and rain will be visited on us soon. While I don't remember it storming when I went to sleep, I was awoken at some time in the night by a huge boom of thunder. My eyes shot open and it was pitch black. We were without power. And fear started to creep up on me. You know, that's something that does it creeps my kids out. Mm-hmm. If they wake up in the night and the power's off, they flip out. And yeah. I'm like, it was already dark, <laughs> right? But but they panic anyway. Says now I've got to do this little aside thing that I hope I hope I do a good job in relaying the explanation. When I woke up, I just had the most overwhelming feeling. I wasn't in my own bed. My mind had convinced me that for some reason during the night, I had been moved into the spare bedroom. In the dark, I could neither confirm or deny this. There was only the sickest feeling in the pit of my stomach that I was laying in the bed that a creepy old woman had died in. (laughs) All of this only took seconds to pass through my mind as I lay there in the dark with my eyes open. That's when it happened. From left to right, before my eyes, there passed the disembodied flickering flame of a ghost candle. But there was no candle, just the flicker of the wispy flame slowly passing before my eyes. I screamed. I've likely never screamed since, like I did at that moment. The flame was gone, and I was again alone in the dark, and my heart raced. Mom and Dad rushed into the room with a flashlight. I could see my surroundings and was, was relieved that I was actually in my bedroom and not the creepy room just next door. But I was still horrified about that candle. While Mom and Dad calmed and reassured me, those flames were indeed those still present in the room. Some danced and rolled across my covers and onto the floor. I remember some traveling up the walls. Some just glided through the air like the one I saw first. Mom saw, mom saw them and it freaked her out, and I could see it in her eyes. Dad was seeing them too, but he played it cool and was in denial. After a few minutes, they all dissipated. These flames didn't burn or otherwise damage anything they had come in contact with. There was no sizzling sound or sulfuric smell like has been reported with ball lightning. I'll never forget the experience. It's the single most horrifying experience I've ever encountered, and I hope it never gets topped. That bedroom furniture eventually got sold, and the room became the den. I like it much better, but it took a while for that creepy feeling to go away. I bet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I like now, this story.
1: Now, I'm I'm not familiar with with ball lightning all that much but I don't know if it acts like this you know from what I do know (laughs) you know it, it doesn't really crawl around in your room
0: you know now there have been stories of balls of light that move around in erratic type patterns that have been classified as ball lightning but Um, We talked about ball lightning a little bit when we did spontaneous human combustion, but we didn't get Uh into much detail. But if it was a flame shape, then I would not say ball lightning um, because ball lightning is classified by the ball. It's it's a plasma ball um, is what scientists think it is. It's just a ball of plasma. Now, had it been a ball, I would have said with the atmospheric conditions and and the power going out and stuff that there was the ability for ball lightning to occur at that point. But it being in a flame shape, I really believe that this was a disembodied flame or or a spiritual flame of some sort rather than ball lightning.
1: Yeah, and how cool, Jeffrey, is it that, your parents saw it too.
0: Yes. Yes, validation. I mean, you know,
1: I mean, you know, so you can you can you can tell yourself this was not a dream. I wasn't hallucinating. Right. I didn't just scare myself. You know, you have two other people. Right. Adu- An adults at that matter for for I mean for a child to experience something like this and to have adults confirm it. Man, that is That is powerful.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, so. That's a great story.
1: It is a great story. I love it. All right.
0: All right. So our next one comes from Nicole. And Nicole says, I recently visited Las Vegas for the first time. My husband won an award for his company, so we were gifted with the trip. I've never been interested in going to Las Vegas because we aren't gamblers and live in the San Francisco Bay Area, so we're not short on great entertainment. But someone gives you a free trip to Las Vegas, you go. She says, we stayed in the Mandalay Bay Resort, the same hotel and floor, a shooter opened fire on a crowd of concert goers at a music festival in 2017. Now there are still bullet holes in fabric fence and chips on the sidewalk. You can see as you walk past. Now she says, I'm not gifted in any way, but I feel the energy, as most of us do, I think. It's heavy, black, and sad. The area is beautiful and opulent, but it can't hide the pain that's still there. And Matt, we've talked about that. You have experiences like that on a property. You're mm-hmm. going to have energy stick around. But she says, my experience happened directly across the street at the Luxor. We were given tickets to see the Titanic exhibit. It was a slow Wednesday evening. So it was a great time to go. No one but my husband and I were in there. The entire thing was fantastic. But talk about dark, man, it drains your energy and I needed time to recover after leaving. It could be because of what happened, though. As you walk through the historical facts presented and the ship room recreations, you feel heavier and heavier. I was in the room where a huge side of the actual ship, maybe 40 foot by 20 foot, was taken from the ocean floor when I was overwhelmed with loneliness. I am an introvert, and I'm never really lonely. This felt devastating, and I sat down on a bench that was provided in the room. For some reason, I didn't sit in the middle of the bench, but off to the right side. I was there for about two to three minutes just looking and gathering my thoughts when I felt weight being lifted off of the other side of the bench, like when someone is sitting next to you and gets up to leave. I tried to ignore it, and went into the next room. The open room was empty, so I walked over to a glass case that held personal items from real people taken from the wreckage. A woman's sewing kit, a perfume oil kit from a perfumer, a pipe, and things like that. Since it was taken from labeled trunks, you could read the names of the people that items belonged to all those years ago. I need to take a quick break here and tell you something that is important to the story. I have very long, thick, heavy hair. My hair does not move easily. It takes a gust of wind to move it and two hair bands to hold it. I'm leaning over the case, and a good amount of my hair was resting on the glass. I started to feel lonely again, and I felt my hair being softly and slowly pulled over my shoulders to my back. It felt familiar and intimate. I looked down to the space my hair previously was covering to see a barbering kit belonging to a man named Gerald. In it was a comb, a brush handle with the bristles disintegrated from the salt water, a blade, and shears. I just stood there, still leaning over the glass in shock. I said out loud, Gerald, you're not alone here. I didn't know what else to do or say. My husband then walked into the room and asked who I was talking to since I was the only one in the room that he could see.
1: Man, that's cool. I love that.
0: And there are so many things that have happened in the Titanic exhibit because of that energy. And, you know, so you've got multiple places of high energy there. And I'm not surprised at all to hear that you had an experience at a Titanic exhibit because it's just. It's a massively powerful, traumatic experience that happened to so many people.
1: hmm Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I never got the chance to go to that exhibit.
0: I would love to.
1: Yeah. Pretty cool. That's a, that's a great story. Great story. All right. All right. So moving on, uh, our next story comes from Lisa. And Lisa says that this is really my sister's story. So I'll recount it as best I remember. When my older sister was in her early 20s, she was sharing an apartment with a friend. For some reason, they had started messing around with a Ouija board, as 20-somethings like to do. Not this one. (laughs) She started using it by herself and got really good at using it. There were two primary spirits that liked to show up, and they called themselves Axe and Rufus. Axe liked my sister so much, he moved off the board and into her bedroom. She said she couldn't turn on the bedroom light, as every time she tried, the bulb would pop. She also said her room was always cold. She wasn't comfortable, of course, so she started sleeping on the couch and would use a flashlight to find her clothes in the bedroom. One day, she and her friends were messing around with the board, Her best friend, being the brilliant young man that he was, placed an open Bible on the board and challenged Rufus to show himself. There was a party coming up that they had all planned on going to, and Rufus communicated to them that her friend would not be at the party, but he would. Well, the day of the party rolls around, and her friend had come down with tonsillitis. To say the least, he too... He was too ill to attend the party. When my sister woke up from her drunken stupor after the party, her friends told her that Rufus had been there. Apparently, some friends were coming down from Memphis for the party and had stopped for gas. A young man struck up a conversation with them and the subject of the party came up. He said he was headed there too and asked if he could catch a ride. They agreed and off they went. By the time they got there, my sister was apparently passed out somewhere. Rufus mingled for a while, asked about my sister to some people, and then disappeared from the party at some point. No one ever saw him again. To say the least, she was slightly freaked out. Her friend recovered, and she swore off Ouija boards. Yeah. Yep, good plan. (laughs) All right, so... We're n- we're not going to go on our big tangent, <laughs> but this kind of stuff is why, number one, why you don't use a Ouija board, and number two, why you don't use one alone.
0: And number three, yeah. why you don't tempt anything with a that, Ouija board.
1: That's right, yeah. That, not, not a good Taunting idea. Taunting is not, not a good, a good plan. Yeah. I mean, no, listen... Everybody has their own opinions on these things, and we get it, but, you know, whether you believe in it or not, whether you think it's a game or not, it's best to just let these things be. hmm <laughs> Trust me. Right. So. All right. So
0: our last story comes from Brandy, and Brandy says, I'm going to tell my boyfriend Isaiah's story. One of my friends from work showed us a fishing spot that no one except his family knew about. It's a really secluded spot surrounded by thick woods and has a bridge over a section of it. One night, my boyfriend went there by himself, which he had been many times before. Um, He just took his pole, tackle bag, bait bucket and a hunting chair because it was a hike to get there. He got there right before sundown and our friend's family was packing up and getting ready to leave. Not long after they had left, Isaiah caught a catfish. He was just catching and releasing that night. Well, after catching a few more, he was sitting there and he noticed that all the nighttime summer sounds of frogs, insects, and other wildlife went silent. By this time, it was dark out and he had a headlamp that was bright enough to have a light shed a good distance away. He did what his dad had taught him and he turned off his light and listened for any sounds around him that might indicate What made everything go quiet? Isaiah grew up hunting, fishing, and living in the country all of his life, so he is an outdoorsman and has a good knowledge of the woods. After 15 minutes, he said he felt a sense of dread and the urge to leave come over him out of nowhere. So he began packing up and getting ready to hike back to the truck, and then he started hiking next to the bridge. As he did, he looked around with his headlamp. The first spot he turned to look at He saw something that was standing down the hill from him. It was about six and a half to seven foot tall, pale white. He saw its eyes through the tree branches and they were red and the distance apart looked a little bit unnatural. It looked like the skin clung to the bones. After five seconds, Isaiah turned and ran the rest of the way up the hill, jumped over the side of the bridge and onto the road, which was a highway. He ran down it to a hill that goes up to the bridge that he had parked at. He called me in a panic saying he didn't know what he had just seen, but he doesn't want to see it again. That sounds like a, a Wendigo to me.
1: Uh Uh-huh. It sure does. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too.
0: Yep, That's classic Wendigo, gaunt, tall skin, kind of clinging to bone, Mm -hmm. pale that Isaiah, I think you saw a Wendigo. And you're yeah. you're lucky to get out.
1: That's right, because uh, if if you uh, if you study much on the windigo, most people that get close enough to see one uh, d- aren't able to tell the story. No. So. um Yeah, but man, that's great. What what an interesting collection of stories we got this year. I love. I it. mean, I mean, just a, a really good mix of some. You know, some creepy tales, some funny ones, some ones that were kind of heartwarming, and and some that were just, you know, really really spooky. And you guys outdid yourselves this year. Oh yeah, and um, I mean, we really really appreciate it. When when we had this idea the first year, we thought, okay, maybe maybe we'll get a few, and and this year when it came around. We already had people asking if we were going to do yes. this again and when they could send their stories. And I mean, we we really do uh, enjoy hearing from you guys and hearing the uh, the stories that you have. So many members of the graveyard have got just incredible experiences, and and we really do appreciate you guys sharing them with everyone else.
0: Yeah. And we have some more that we'll be putting up on Patreon um, for our patrons out there that we just didn't have time to fit into this episode. So, uh, you know, if you have an experience and want to get this in, you know, type it out. And I would wait to send it to us because it'll be a year from now that we do this again. And (laughs) I will lose the email. Yeah, we'll lose it. Yeah. so hang on to it and just know that we will be doing this again next year and send us your story then if you want to get in on this. And we appreciate, like Matt said, everybody who sent it in and we appreciate you guys helping us revive this tradition and get it to be, you know, a thing again. We we want to start this and, and keep it, well, not start it, but we want to keep this going. Um, so we couldn't keep doing it without you guys sending us your stories
1: yeah yeah and this is uh this is our last show of the year isn't it mm-hmm. it is yeah so uh thank you guys so much for a, a really great 2019 oh yeah uh, adam adam and i are looking forward to 2020 um we've got uh we've got some big things coming up we've uh we've got one one live show Mm-hmm. already on the calendar and we've got another one in the works um, so thank you so much everyone who has supported the show over the the last couple of years and uh, Adam and I just want to wish uh, everyone uh, a happy holidays.
0: oh yeah happy holidays everybody
1: so until next year we'll save you a seat in the graveyard see you soon